another episode behind the vinyl, behind the vinyl with Darren and Nicholas. You guys, you guys are not as you guys are much prettier than I am right now. <laughs> the, the, these are not fucking TV faces, mate. Let's be honest. I, I got a face for radio. So. so the guy, the guy at the top talking. You look great, nice beard, gray salt and pepper like mine. The guy below looks like he's too chilled, and I only see from his nose down. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Nicholas. Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, thanks for your time, man. Really, really cool. Yeah, you know, I I haven't done. Um, I kind of like very politely, and I feel bad doing it, but I've, I've told a lot of people that that email me or message on you know Facebook or something. Um, that want to do um, interviews, I've I've con- basically said no to to all of them ever since this silly uh, virus thing started. I just didn't want to just didn't want to do it. You know, there's just you know, like a, a lot of artists went out there and you know would would call everybody up and say, let's jam on a song, let's get on the videos, and let's kill our time doing that and have some fun and and uh, let's you know, do all these things and promote and that. And I was kind of like the opposite. I was like, okay, I'm going to go into hiding and relax and have fun with my family and uh, just do the music stuff in my studio and um, try to relax and wait till this gets over with. And I, I caught COVID back in uh, May, April, oh. or I think it was in uh, early, late April, early May. So um, that was uh, that was a real tough one for me. Wow. It, it, it hit you. It hit you pretty hard. Yeah, I got really hit because I have um, it was just bad luck because I had uh, every year around, I'd say April, um, I get hit whether I'm in Canada or here in the UK, I get hit with these, I guess they call it seasonal allergies, like uh, tree pollen, you know, the stuff on the trees floating around and all that. Um, And uh, all, you know, some people, it makes them sort of, you know, runny nose and their eyes are red and watering and sneezing. And, and for me, it's uh it's like a wheeze, like an asthma. So, uh, so I've had that ever since I was young and, and it's usually not a problem because you have this emergency asthma medication. And if you really need it, you just take it. And it, I, I almost don't take it ever, but the problem was I caught COVID at the exact same time as I had the lung asthma thing. And uh, as you know, <laughs> the, the, two, the two together are actually very deadly. So I was, uh, I was at home for 14 days, um, 14 days of, it felt like somebody was sitting on my chest and uh, it didn't matter if you, if, if it was night or day you were sleeping or if you're lying on your side or your back or your front, um, it, it felt like somebody was sitting on you, on your chest. So uh, it was, it was scary. And uh, the hospital said I was, I have a choice if, if I want to go on that intubator, that, that lung thing. Uh, that also was a bad thing to do uh, unless you really have to have it. And so they sent me home and uh, my wife and I were ready to go at any any time. And uh, luckily I just waited through and got through it all, but it was uh, pretty close. I mean, I not as I, I, you know, Will from death angel, I was watching his struggles um, when they had their tour through Europe and he came back and he got COVID and he was in the hospital for quite a while. But uh I was watching that because my my stepson and I were were at that show in uh, that tour with Testament Death Angel and the guys, um, and uh, right near the end of their tour, so <laughs> here in England. So uh, that's not where where I got it from because I got it later on than that. But um, it was uh, yeah, it was pretty scary for Will and uh, you know I'm I'm lucky I'm in sort of okay shape. Uh, but what got me was this uh, one month a year allergies. 
Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, I get those. I'm an asthmatic. My daughter's an asthmatic as well. So we're a little bit, uh, oh. we're, we're cautious in regards to that, you know, um, in, in the fact that we don't, we, we really don't want it because you don't know what's going to happen with the asthma. I, think, so. I mean, we all know when, you know, they've said it, older people and people with, you know, like people who are getting treatment for cancer or I'm just thinking of examples, you know, like you know, somebody yes. that's very overweight or somebody that has some problems or pre-existing conditions, whatever they call it. But yeah. that's actually me is with the, and I guess your daughter and anybody with, with um, seasonal allergies that are bad or, or asthma. Um, yeah, it is. It, it makes sense. If you've got a, a, basically a bad flu in your chest um, and you also have chest problem, lung problems to start. I mean, that that's gotta be a, a high risk thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But I got, I got, I just watched, you know, watched, uh, you know, what was going on and very careful here. And um, I was just, I guess at the time I was building round two in my, in my studio. We were just finishing off an upgrade in the studio, which is fun. An upgrade's funny because I've only been here for two and a half years or three years. But <laughs> I, I went, how's the studio going? It's going good. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, but, it's, it's, a. Uh, Long story short, I, I, I married a, a beautiful lady, super nice, amazing woman uh, from the UK. And I essentially had a choice. Do I stay in my sort of uh, dream home kind of that I, you know, an area and place that I built uh, f for three, four years before um, that was great for my band and crew to come over and have a little vacation before we rehearse for shows and tours. Basically a really relaxing and nice place where it had a studio rehearsals it had accommodation for everybody and i was kind of like you know almost done and it was it was looking like i was gonna die there that's where i was gonna retire and, and live forever and uh, until the end of days and um and i met this lady and boom all gone <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, the good thing is that she was doing very well for herself before i met her and uh you know so she was Basically, um, I just said, "Hey, I, I need a place to build a studio and a place for my band to stay in, and that." And uh, she just happened to have a really nice building on her property, which uh, just started from ripped it all apart and uh, built a two-story uh, recording studio and loft. And so I, I just did that for my band and myself. And as I recorded my last record, as soon as I finished it, I realized that we sort of had this built so properly and professionally that that the uh, the equipment I got was very good, um, but I I just wanted to, to just go for it and get the top of the line kind of thing here. And uh, and that was a huge upgrade and a lot of fun. And uh, cool. I think it, it was kind of like everything was – almost everything was done for the upgrade except the board. The, uh, the console came around the time <laughs> – right around the time I caught that silly illness. Uh, so I had to <laughs> – I had to watch through a window as people were loading this beautiful console in my studio and I couldn't go in and look at it. <laughs> <laughs>
I stood and looked down You know I lost a lot of friends there, baby I got no time to mess around So if you want it, got to breathe, boy, baby How do you feel like creating in an, in an environment like that? Just just something really top end, and even even your last place when it's your when it's your own place, when you don't have to worry about um, yeah booking time at studios. I, I always find that must be a little bit hard. You know, you need to create or you need to deliver. You know, between March the third and March the eighteenth, kind of kind pressure. Of, I was kind of lucky for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, my my band was never. You know, we're playing music that was not sort of groundbreaking new styles like a Metallica or a Pantera or bands coming out with these new styles of metal. I was always an old school fan, so I was always getting influences from bands I liked. And the only originality in in what I do is going to be how I put all those influences together, like how I put them in order or, you know what I mean, like a puzzle. And and that's kind of where, where my sound on lead guitar or songs comes from is basically everybody else and how I put it together. But I was lucky in the early days where um, I, out of necessity, I had to learn how to play the bass because a bass player didn't show up for the rehearsals or the demos and, and, you know, write lyrics when the singer couldn't show up. And then very quickly I started writing the lyrics and things and um, giving our first singer, Randy Rampage, a, a whole demo of our first album, Alice in Hell, with me singing and saying, this is how you do it, you know? And yeah, pretty well how it went. And that, that led me to learning how to use those little recording machines back then, cassette machines. Um, and then that led to, you know, the record deal and going into real studios, uh, beautiful studios. And then I got a, you know, while I was on my biggest record called Never Neverland, I worked in a very big studio uh, part-time back in Vancouver just for um, so I could watch uh, other producers and engineers and I got to watch some really big you know albums being made and uh, meanwhile I would go get you know Aer- Aerosmith was there and I would get uh, would go clean toilets and go get Steven Tyler and Joe Perry yogurts and uh, push the broom around in the studio and and just to get to to learn about studio stuff so and meanwhile, I was, you know, touring with Judas Priest and doing headline tours. And, and so I was a really busy guy, but I wanted to learn about the uh, recording side. And 
when when heavy metal sort of as a big popular genre uh, disappeared around, I guess around what ninety three that that era. Yes. Um, I guess most bands in the type of music I was playing or thrash metal or traditional heavy metal lost their, their record deals and, or they were told, you know, like Rob Flynn or for example, member he was told to, okay, well, you're going to have to do something different. So they started machine head. And um, I was told by the label roadrunner then, you know, change your kind of music to be like Sepultura, Pantera or biohazard. And then we can still keep you. And <laughs> so, you know, I just, uh, I out of necessity when the money and the advances and the sales went down, started to go down. Um, I was smart in the sense that, or and lucky that I got this very big deal from uh, Japan and from England, uh, label music for nations in England and a, a Japanese label. And I don't know why, but somehow in 1994, both those labels gave, gave me a lot of money and I, for three albums. And I was, uh, you know, I was, that was a time when I, I, you know, done my first of two uh, times of quitting drinking a lot of alcohol. And so I was sober then and I took all that money and invested it into a house and a studio. And, um, mm. you know, going quickly, that was, that was it. As soon as I did that, um, I, I unfortunately got to watch a lot of musicians lose their careers and or change music that they didn't really want to be doing um, and doing other jobs where I could keep doing what I did because I already owned the house and I owned the studio and I owned the equipment. And it was, I, I wasn't the best at the studio work, but because I owned it all, I could keep doing my records as long as I could make enough money in music to keep the house and the studio and, you know, the gas and the car and the food in the fridge, you know, just like everyone else. Um, yeah. I think as it carried on, um, you know, it, it, I think what the difference now um is now that I'm here is I'm kind of obviously getting to the sort of end of my career at what I'm doing. And I'm able to sort of do what I'm doing now more, more like for fun right now. Cause we did our what 17th studio album came out at the beginning of this year. And that was a tough one for me because it was a, a new country, a new life. I said goodbye to my family and the son and friends and everything. I mean, of course I could, I, I thought I could visit them this year on the plane, but uh you know, um, start a new life and, and cross your fingers and hope everything works. And, but I, I kind of give it a hundred percent and just came here and made this beautiful place and great family here. And, um, I, I kind of sort of realized that my last album was probably likely the, the, the best one I'm ever going to be able to do at this point in my life, as far as annihilator. So that gives you a big, uh, you know what I mean? You know, like I, you see a lot of artists that keep going and keep going and keep going and you feel so kind of sorry in a way because they're sad because you know they're good people or you know that they're talented, and you, but you you know their best work was sometimes years ago and sometimes 20 years ago. And yeah. and, I know, and I've known, of course, that my, my favorite album is my, my second album I did uh, in 1990 called Never Neverland. And yep. So I kind of wanted to try for years to, to get something close to that, but it's not possible. You can't do painkiller. You can't do back in black again. You can't get number of the beast again. You can't do rain and blood. I mean, yeah. if, if we could do it, we would. Um, so I, I kind of realized on my last album here in um, January, this ballistic sadistic that I was personally so happy with that um, myself or forget the press or the fans or or anyone i was i was really happy with that and i thought you know 
I could keep going at this. I'm 54 now and I think I'm in pretty good shape and I, I love music. I love metal, of course. And they always go to concerts and my friends are musicians and I'll always play guitar. And, um, but I got a feeling that, that that was probably the last good Annihilator record. So that, that really, yeah, I think, you know, the answer to what's come, what, what's likely coming up for me. Um, and that brings me over to the studio, which is the upgrade. The studio was literally, that's kind of um, my future, not an investment because uh, you know, starting up a recording studio with a lot of money invested, a lot of actual hardware, like real equipment, not uh, just computers and plugins. Having a studio designed like this one and then getting that kind of equipment is is the same thing as, you know, you, you want to start a restaurant while well, you have a very bad chance of surviving. It's not it's not a a guaranteed thing you do and you don't dump all your money into it unless you're absolutely sure you want to. Um, I'm doing this because I want to have fun and watch other producers, engineers and uh, mix engineers come in and do work in here. So that's kind of where yeah. where I'm at now. This is just being done not to survive now. It's just uh, because I've, you know, I've been in a good place in my life for a while. This is going to be a fucking great fun hobby. <laughs> cool. That's yeah. so cool. That's really cool.
you know, it's it's something um, we're going to dig for, for behind the vinyl. We're going to dig in uh, and talk about Eddie Van Halen. But that's Ooh. something Nick, Nick and I have talked a lot about. Um, it's something that's kind of uh, often been a, a source of curiosity for me, you know, when it comes to um, Eddie Van Halen and Jimmy Page is another one. Um, how do these guys, so, so brilliant musicians, how can they not – how can they lay dormant for so long and not be playing? You know, Jimmy Page especially, but Eddie did it as well. Um, so it's kind of interesting to hear what you think about that because you've basically said that to yourself, said that to us now that, you know, the possibility of you might not create anymore. You know, you 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 might – will create in a different way by being in the studio. Yeah, I would, I would do um, – I definitely – I've already got some things together for something different, but – um, I think I don't go back to people like I'll just zoom right in on, on Eddie Van Halen, but I think it, it's the same for a lot of people since social media, uh, became so, I guess the word is prevalent or, or has arrived, had arrived so many years ago. Um, if, if an artist, an older artist, uh, wants to get out there and let people know what they're doing. I mean, you could do that every second of the day and, and you can, on so many different mediums and so you get instagram facebook whatever but it's or you can have total privacy and just not go on there and and just enjoy your life i mean there's so many things that, and and this is one thing that uh, you know i'm not quote a big rock star or even a big metal person as far as you know a big band uh, like the big four or the big six or nothing like that but I'm, i've been around for a while sold quite a few albums and and quietly <laughs> and uh and had a lot of fun and done, done a lot of cool things, but I've seen a lot of uh, people and know a lot of people that are very, very much more popular. And, you know, what happens behind the scenes with people's lives, musicians' lives, um, some people just speak their mind and they say, get on social media all the time and have an opinion, whether it's political or religious or, or what they're doing in the, you know, somebody's mowing their lawn. So they do that. And I've kind of, always and some people just don't go on and they have somebody else post updates for their band or their their musician self but i'm kind of in the middle i've, I've always had opinions about stuff the problem is uh i don't know a lot about a lot of things so if i if i said political things i wouldn't know what i'm talking about or like covid for example and the politics and all the bullshit um i'm always scared if i say something all of a sudden all these people are going to like uh not want to hear your music or give you a listen because you have an opinion on something. So I've, I've decided to sit back and mostly watch everybody else. We say, put their foot in their mouth. A lot of them where I've seen a lot of people that are literally going to lose their careers because of the last eight months of, of stuff they've been saying online. Um, but anyway, to do with the social media stuff, I think now, now we're starting to see things like why did Eddie Van Halen take so long? or not have any music released. And, well, I mean, fuck, it's too bad we didn't sort of read or think about the fact that we knew a couple of decades ago that he was going in for treatments on cancer treatment. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I believe if I got it right, Valerie or Wolfgang or somebody had said that he had three or four cancers at the time of his death. So. Yeah you know, throat, tongue, mouth, lung, or wh whatever they all were. And all I saw on social media for a decade was, you know, you saw the, 
I guess when Roth got back with him and then you see some clips where he wasn't looking so good and he was uh, obviously drunk on stage sometimes and having a hard time, which, which is, Hey man, do you know how many other people have alcohol problems in the world? It's not just him, <laughs> but, yeah. but, uh, you know, and then you saw that part of him and then, you know, everybody was complaining every decade. Where's the music? Where's more output? Where's more output? And then you finally realize now, I hope everybody feels like shit that said something because the poor guy was fighting cancer for so long and fighting smoking. You know, he was probably smoking because he realized he was going to pass away. I mean, he was probably saying, if you see all the pictures that have been coming out now of before he went to the hospital about five months ago or whatever, he was just going to car dealerships. He was going to to concerts. He was he was constantly hugging people and kissing people and tell and calling up old friends to make peace with them. And, call, you know, like there's so many people around the world he was trying to sort of, you know, talk to because I think maybe in the back of his mind, hey, maybe this might be the last year or maybe. So if you were a person that arguably in other words i will argue with anybody about this but i think mozart beethoven you can go through the whole classical you can go through jimmy page you can go through jimmy hendrix but i would argue that van halen changed music more than page and equally or more than those old guys way back centuries ago and the reason i i would say that is it listen if he came out with those first six roth albums um, let alone the first album. And as soon as that first album came out, I don't know when it was, uh, I think it was around my birthday in 78. I think it was like 12 years old or something. And all I remember as a 12, 13 year old is that the local bookstore in Ottawa. There was like 3 million people live there, Ottawa, Canada, no internet. And there was a lineup all the way down the street at the bookstore because the the one of those guitar magazines in the United States had an issue about Eddie Van Halen. I think it was in seventy nine or eighty, maybe at that point. And right. nobody has had lineups of hundreds of people. Every time a, a freaking guitar magazine from the United States comes out, um, because there were there were millions that were and in keyboard players even before he did nineteen eighty four and Diver Down before the keyboards even came in and you know and. Um, women and children first um, every kind of musician was wanting to know what he was doing what pedal did he use what amp what technique is he going to give us information about how to warm up is he going to give us this and there was no internet so everybody just had to scramble and buy magazine articles about this guy any interview and um, that was that's unheard of I've never seen that in my whole life with anybody else in any kind of music where you would go to a record store, a bookstore, a magazine shop the day that an interview came out in a magazine and there'd be lineups of musicians of all kinds going to buy these magazines to see if there's just one little thing they can learn from this guy.
I, I've never seen that. And that's the thing about being like me and being around back then is uh, newer people, uh, younger people, most of them have never seen anything like that. Like some younger kids haven't seen a door, a, a window on your car where you have to take the, the handle and, and roll it, you know, in a circle to, to raise the window up and down. I mean, people haven't seen that. But Van Halen was, Eddie was, uh, he didn't have to do anything after that first record. He could have just said goodbye and retired. He, instead, he went on to make the sick records and all the Hagar stuff and change his direction and, and get some radio hits and, and still have a big following. Um, and he didn't have to do anything. So when he stopped giving output, really everybody should have said, good, go enjoy your fucking life. Like, have fun. Nobody's ever going to do what he did, like those first six Van Halen albums, let alone the first album, let alone Eruption. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> I, mean, I mean, and of course, none of that would happen without Roth, and Roth probably wouldn't have happened without Eddie. And then you could argue that the rhythm section with Michael Anthony and Alex Van Halen, that the, you know, a band that, that was super hard rock and even got really aggressive, um, on, you know, Romeo Delight, for example, on Women and Children First was like m unbelievable aggression. Um, but you got a band that, you know, was like a circus with Roth. It was, well, the whole band. And you, you had a band that would have fun. Uh, you you had hard rock in the beginnings of metal that you could dance to. It was like the most incredible, mm. incredible thing you'd ever heard back then. So anyway, I could go on and on about Eddie, but you're going to have to tell me, ask me some more questions. Well, well you know what? what it, it, well, you got what, you got first, uh, what are your first memories of, of, of hearing Van Halen? Well, I think it's probably similar to a lot of people that were around then. Because um, remember, you could hear Eruption for the first time now, and it would make you crazy. You'd be, what is that? But not as much as you would back then, because now, you know, so many people, whether they admit it or not, use his phaser pedals and his flanger pedals and his tricks and his 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 reverbs and his delays and echoplexes and amplifier tricks and power. You know, all these things. So many people have been doing it for so long. Um, he he just sort of, you know, when he went in the Hagar years, he decided, OK, everybody's already copied my sound. I'm going to try for different sound. You know, he was always trying to find different sounds. But I think. When you hear Eruption for the first time as a kid, uh, when it was happening, when it was actually out, I must have been like 13 when I probably heard that. Um, I can't tell you. I, there was no internet that would tell me, hey, this, this guitar player just came out and has these songs. Just click this button and you can hear his song. It took me like six months before I could, as a 13-year-old, before I could get the record, you know? And... Yeah. Um, put it on my turntable and I, I remember i had kiss alive too i had elton john's greatest hits i had sweet desolation boulevard and uh yeah maybe one of the uh, probably a, a saturday night fever or something like that um but i remember oh yeah sorry power age because i you remember that oh, ECD yep. that, that yep. where no 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 i got it wrong um if you want blood where angus has the guitar impaled by the guitar with yep. blood in his stomach uh, I hid that one from my mother because she would have thrown it in the garbage if she saw it. Um, <laughs> but when I when I heard Eruption, it's the same I think as most people did back then. In any kind of uh, musician, you you really say you really said what is that? Not who is that? You didn't even what, know what yeah. 
you didn't know what instrument it was and if it was some kind of a keyboardy thing then what is it like how how it sounds like alien spaceships and i think everybody said the same thing at the time it wasn't just one person in an interview last week it was everybody said what is that and then it was from there on it just it was uh i don't know how to explain it it was it would change so many lives so many musicians lives and it's because of social media now people go back and discover him and but some other people go back and for years they've been saying oh well why i mean jesus steve Vai is faster or more technical steve Vai has much more knowledge and even mom's blah, blah, blah. so you go to like oh joe satriani and you go through all these guys but you have one if you do your history on 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 the internet you'll find out that as soon as Eddie came out, especially with 1984, when the keyboards and the shuffles were coming from Alex Van Halen's drumming, as soon as they did Hoffer teacher drum beat, you, and even Diver Down, you, you got to understand all these unbelievable players like Steve Vai and Joe Satriani made their careers. Even though Vai was with you know uh, Zappa and you know he did all this stuff, you have to yeah. remember, you have to remember in history, and you can look it up. As soon as Eddie did what he did and Van Halen did what they did. Uh, guys like Vi and Satriani had their biggest records because what did they do? They took the shuffle beat from Hopper Teacher and they did all the tricks that Eddie was doing and they all tried to like be just as good or better than him and do it faster and all that stuff. And if you listen to, er to interviews with Eddie back then, some of these these interviews like we're doing right now, very informal things that are not like in a station or with cameras on them, you hear what's what was really happening. He His brother was telling him, turn around at the beginning people are ripping you off and that really bugged eddie because you, you heard it in interviews in the early ones he was so angry that people were not so much ripping him off it was more like he would t he would want to tell everybody hey guys i know i appreciate that you like what i'm doing but why don't you fucking learn like come up with your own shit like why don't you try to be yourself and that that was what really pissed him off was made him angry was he loves that people were influenced but he was hoping that they would turn around and make that not steal from him but take what he did and try to to have the same attitude be innovative try new things different things don't just rip him off and i mean yep. I, I tell you if you talk to satch vi or even me, if you talk to any of these guitar players out there, I'm, I'm not saying I'm at the level of a vibe, of course not, but if you talk to any of those top-end guys off the record, you'll find out that they just worshipped him. They worshipped him. These, these seasoned veterans who are famous in their own right would go back to their houses, basements, bedrooms, and they would practice everything this guy did from the first note until probably until the end of 1984.
Well, we, t- we talked to Satriani a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I-, I can't remember, Nick, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. He was either with John Petrucci or he was with Vi quite recently. And, right. um, and, and somewhere they heard um, eruption, eruption come over the, you know, was over the stereo or something like that. And they both stopped and were just kind of silent and looked at each other just still all these years later. Yeah, it, it was before Eddie died. They just stopped and looked at each other all these years later. And um, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he, he, he said there was just a little little kind of a nod of the head to, to each other, just like, yeah, it's fucking amazing. You know, still this, this many years later. I know uh, not all of us, but uh, most of us that are my age and older, you know, whatever, in my sort of range, um, you, you, you know, if you have, you, you get a band, you get a record deal, you make records. And if you're still around, like, you know, I've, I've been around quite a while with this and haven't stopped really um, for, for guys like me at the different levels too. Um, we forget and it's things like Eddie dying or like hearing uh, something Van Halen did on the radio or in a car passing by or just, you know, being in a studio and all of a sudden, like before Eddie passed away many years ago, I think it was 2005. Um, I first put in, I put in uh, my favorite one, women and children first into my studio in Canada into the, I just turned it on and cranked it up. And that was it. From 2005 on, I went. I was back into Van Halen day and night, like in my head. <laughs> so, this <laughs> funny story for me is I had, I guess at 12 or 13, of course you'd hear you really got me on the radio, but they would also put eruption on the radio too. So, yeah. I was 12 years old, turning 13, and I was into Van Halen nonstop until 1984, and. Okay. When that was it for me. Um, I did like, I just started to see David Lee Roth's solo stuff and I was blown away by that. I was thinking that's great. It's entertaining. And wow, his, I saw a, a VHS or a, a video cassette of, of a, a song from a, their live show they did in 85. Roth did with Vi and um, Bissonette and um, uh, Sheen. Billy Sheen. Yeah, Talis. Yeah. I keep thinking Talis cause I saw them when they, when I was young, <laughs> but um and I and that was it. As soon as I saw that, then my 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 friends turned me on to these bands. Are you ready? Here we go. Exciter, Venom, Anvil, Razor, um, and those were the first albums of those bands. Like the the first Exciter record, the first Anvil album, Hard and Heavy, the uh, you, know, uh, you know Venom, of course. And I kind of went. Literally in one week, I went from being a Scorpions, Van Halen, ACDC, Kiss, uh, heavy metal, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden fan, to everything in my life uh, there musically was finished at that point. That was like like you you hit delete or pause, basically pause, and you moved into a new folder on your computer, and the new folder was. The first, uh, you know, Metallica Metal Militia on the compilation uh, record, Mike Varney or what, Shrapnel, whatever it was, and then Venom, and then Exciter, Heavy Metal Maniac, and then, you know, and that was it. As soon as I heard Razor and Exciter and, and all that stuff, that was like, to me, a massive change. Every single bit of melodic heavy metal and Van Halen and everything was gone. It was like, okay, I know that stuff. Like, I love that stuff, but what is this? And that, that was like the biggest thing in my life actually was 
saying goodbye to everything I'd ever listened to. And now I was focusing on this music day and night of these people screaming about Satan, about, uh, you know what I mean? Hello waits, you know, all this stuff. It was like, it was so cool to me. It was like, and remember I was coming from a, you know, Matthias Yabs from Scorpions, guitar soloing and Van Halen, Randy Rhodes, George Lynch, Warren D. Martini, um, you know, Friday night in San Francisco, Lucia John McLaughlin and Al Demiola. You know, I was coming from this guitar practicing, uh, you know, serious guitar background. And then all of a sudden, and some classical lessons, and then all of a sudden, these guys pick up guitars out of tune and they play super messy and sloppy and fast and they're screaming about stuff. And I love that even more. That was that was even more awesome. I, I was I was like, where did this come from? And um, that was it. I lost, you know, in Annihilator, you can hear all those priest and maiden and all that Van Halen soloing wannabe stuff. You hear that everywhere. But for me, I stopped listening to all that music uh, around 1984, and that was it. I was like a thrash metal, thrash punk death metal kid from then on. That was it. And uh, I only got back into that. Let me see. Yeah, it would be. Uh, wow. I guess I slowly started getting back into that around heavy metal into 1995. So 10 years later. Right. And then 20 years later, um, 2005. Then I rediscovered Eddie. And then from 2005 on, I didn't stop as far as realizing just how amazing he was. And I also didn't practice his stuff because there was every kid in the block um, where I lived as a kid in Ottawa was playing Van Halen. And then Randy Rhodes came out and he, he, he got a lot, he got a lot admittedly off Van Halen too, but uh, as well, but uh, Randy Rhodes was still legendary and, and, you know, Pretty close, you know. I mean, if he'd lived lived another 10, 20 years, boy, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't think he ever would have retired. Um, but so it was kind of like, um, oh, I don't know. I it, I never I, I learned probably more off Randy Rhodes from playing his music than I did Van Halen. Van Halen was a band and a guitar player that I realized why would I even practice this stuff because it's so unique. And every one of my friends is practicing his stuff. So I just said, screw it. I'm going back to Glenn Tipton and Angus Young and Randy Rhodes. And, and those are the things that I would practice. But I would listen as a 100% fan to Van Halen. And, and I have ever since. I mean, I, it's in my car every time I go out. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's, it's been like that for me since 2005. Not since, uh, you know, three or four months ago.
Well, women, women and children first. What's what's it about women and children first that floats your boat more than uh, not that Van Halen two or or Fair Warning don't? But what what is it about women yeah. and children first? Well, I mean, I love them all. All right, the first six I love. Okay, so and the Hager stuff, you know, the song right here, right now, and. Yep. Uh, I like that. There's a couple of tunes I like. One of one of the fifty songs that have the word love in it. I like. Um, I I like. I love the way Eddie went to uh, focusing on guitar sounds and tones uh, with Hagar's uh, output with with that era. Um, I think Eddie did great souls and he did you know different songwriting and keyboards and had fun and, and did a different thing because he'd already done everything he could possibly do. Uh, and times one million. I mean, how could one person in the world criticize him after he finished Diver Down, or sorry, 1984 with Panama Hopper Teacher and Jump? And how could, it, you know, Cathedral, all that beautiful music. How could anybody ever ask him and say, how come you're not, you know, give him shit for not coming out with anything after that? It's, he did more than anyone could ever do. Um, yeah. But I think that I can find things I love in every song in the first six albums, but women and children first, it was just because it, I, I believe it was 1980. It was the time in my life where it was, there's a whole bunch of things personally that tied in with this record uh, back in black came out. Um, uh, this record came out. I had to make a choice between pursuing a, a career, even as a kid, uh, as a, you know, heading towards a professional career as a hockey goalie. Um, because I was actually called to join the, uh, the team under the big one, just uh, the scouting team, or whatever you call it, farm team for a big, uh, NHL hockey team. And I didn't go, I, uh, I had a choice. I, I could go smoke a joint, hang out with this girl and listen to back in black, or I could go to the hockey tryouts. <laughs> so it's a no brainer. It was a no brainer. I, I chose the girl, the joint, probably the beer, and and the uh, <laughs> and, and that was that was it. My my father was very disappointed, but he quickly realized that music was where I, where I wanted to go. Um, but uh, that that year, nineteen eighty, or whenever Women and Children uh, first came out, I was too young to get into the concert. I was think I was one year too young to get into the concert in Ottawa, and this. Part of the reason I love the album so much is the memories because on that tour, when they played in Ottawa, it was a beautiful summer day and night and the sun was still up and I took the bus to the concert and I couldn't get in, but there was one security guy who looked, looked at me and realized that I, you know, I had the money for a ticket. I had the ticket, but they wouldn't let me in. Um, and the security people told me you have to leave and get off the premises. You have to leave the parking lot and get out, go. And I was really sad because I was by myself and I had a ticket, but I was one year too young. And one security guy waved to me when everyone left and said, come over here. And he showed me a place that I could go sit on some stairs around the corner and I could hear, I could hear the band and see the lights from the concert. And he, he stood outside the whole night. That was his job. And he let me sit around the corner on the stairs. And I was, I'll never forget, I was, you know, sort of slowly banging my head up and down to the music sitting on the stairs uh, while the security guy looked at me once in a while and smiled. And I was singing all the songs. I was listening to every note that was coming through the cracks in the walls. Uh, and then I took the bus home when everybody uh, came to the concert. And 
And from then on, I told everybody I saw the concert. <laughs> so I think that that because because I in a way got, I got to hear every note, and and um, that was kind of a special thing that the security guy let me sit there. And uh, the other thing was, uh, I think that album. I don't know the first couple of records or the first couple of songs like Romeo Delight. I I don't know if this is true, but I heard that. Um, Carrie King said that was the Romeo Delight was the last great uh, heavy Van Halen song or something. I don't know what it was, but um, in a way, I agree and I disagree. It, it was maybe the last great heavier song, but it wasn't the last great song. Um, I think we just try and I'm just calling up the tracks here, but Romeo Delight was the one that stood out. And that's funny because uh, a few years later, that's the direction I would go, which is into this heavier kind of music, which is weird. I like that. But, you know, the cradle will rock and the sounds that they were coming up with the reverb and the delays and the, the sort of noises that Eddie was coming up with the guitars. But there was also something about that record that was a real party vibe. It was just Michael Anthony and Ross always in the background making strange noises and yelling and screaming. And it was it was just like a, a different world. It was not, not a record. It was, this was a sort of like a different planet. It was so strange. And all, all the, the rawness of them being somewhere, it sounded like they were on a, a spaceship or, a, or they were on a planet somewhere and they were jamming. It was just the weirdest kind of vibe on that record with all the reverbs and delays and, and the rawness of it all. But um, it also started touching on a bit of darkness which we got from the next record which was you know it had mean street and, and chained and everything you know fair warning was a really a, a pretty dark record for mute for their music and um this led right into it because if you go back two records if you go back to one record to van halen two it was california party it was a beautiful yep. girls it was uh, somebody get me a doctor and it was fun it was happy it was party it was chicks it was california it was a uh, live show and it was colorful and uh just like the first record but then all of a sudden women and children first had some darkness and some and, and then all of a sudden we hit uh, fair warning and it's like wow there's dark and then we get cover records we get diver down and everybody you know big bad bill you know we get all this this crazy fun roth uh, influence stuff so uh i, I think women and children first was kind of like the middle of those six for me that was the big one for me.
There's also because I always find like you've got everybody wants some fools um, uh, in a simple rhyme and all that. Then you have loss of control, which I always found a really weird song. And could this be magic? Was like a fish, drunken fisherman song. Yeah, you know, it was like it was just crazy. Yeah, and yeah, you got it. Uh, lost control was. I don't know how they came up with this stuff. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just each record on those first six is so different than the other. It's it, yeah. it's unbelievable. It's not like you know, uh, my favorite band in the world is gotta be. Uh, you know, I, I went through this many times and I'm still changing it a little. But basically, the top three are are ACDC, uh, you know, Van Halen, and Slayer. Those are my favorite. And basically, Slayer because w- regardless of why they I think maybe Kerry King was the guy, um, maybe Rhea, but uh, Kerry, I think it was Kerry and Hannum, it must have been, that's, that said, you know what, let's just stay with what we do good and not try to go outside that. Let's just stay with it. And, you know, that's what Angus and Malcolm did. That's, and, you know, Brian Johnson and Bon Scott, that's what they did. They stayed with what worked and what they liked. Um, but, you know, that third band there, Van Halen, they did not stick to what, <laughs> they didn't stick to one thing at all all those six albums and then you go album number seven with hagar and that was a big hit um so wow you've got seven albums by van halen and every one of them is completely different yeah but it's you still know? van halen yeah but it's six of them have the same friggin' producer and engineer uh, templeman yeah. and uh, landy so it's, it's yep. just amazing I, and I think maybe even that seventh album with Hagar might have been done with Templeman. I'm not even sure. I can't no, remember. It's, uh, Mick Jones. Oh, it was? Okay. 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 Yeah. Yep. So that's six out of seven was with the same team, I think. Yep. <laughs> so that's, True. Yeah. True. Anyway, I, that, I guess maybe that that's just a tiny bit of that uh, sort of got applied to Annihilator because um, each of our records are, are quite different, although I'm not putting them in the same <laughs> level. But. Uh, you know, I, li- I like to do different styles in my music. That's the only thing I probably got from them. Right, right. Cool. Plus, plus, I stole I stole his lead guitar sound uh, because I used a lot of the things that he used, uh, which was, and then I've done my own kind of soloing to them. And sometimes you you can't help yourself, and you start playing a little bit of something that he would do, um, and you you know it's just not <laughs> it's not even close, but. It's just like the fan in you says, I don't really care. <laughs> as long as people, <laughs> if they don't say it sucks, then I'll, I'll throw in a few uh, Eddie's here now and then. <laughs> well, it's the highest form of compliment, right? Yeah, he, he wouldn't, <laughs> I guess in a way. Yeah. <laughs> a, a little story about that is uh, if you, I don't 
think I've told anyone this. I'm not sure, but it's not a big deal. But to me, it is. Um, during the volcano eruption back in 2010, I believe it was, um, I was stuck in a hotel in Milan doing a press trip for an album we had, which was self-titled. It was called Annihilator. And I was in Milan for a couple of days doing press. The volcano hit, and I had to stay in Milan for five days uh, because the train stations were shut down, were full, and airports were shut down for days. Um, and I was doing press for it. And on that record, I did we did a cover of the song Romeo Delight, which is uh, not as a bonus track, but just as one of the tracks in the album. And it, I, I, what can I say? Like it's suicide to try to do a Van Halen song, right? So. Uh, <laughs> But I said, you know, I'm going to do it for fun, and I, I just hope it's not terrible. And we we did it, and it wasn't terrible. Um, you know, you couldn't do Roth. Even our singer at the time, Dave Patton, said, you know, I, I could do a little Hagar vibe, but there's no way I could do Roth. And, and by, just just a little inter, uh, interjection. A couple of months ago, well, before it, before Eddie passed away, I um, I was looking for, um, you know, looking for a singer for another thing that I'm doing here. And I wanted it to be kind of like, let's just put it this way. White uh, Coverdale meets Roth, okay? And I imagine you're, you're seriously trying to find someone like that. And I, I literally found two people in the entire world um, other than Coverdale and, and Roth himself. <laughs> but, um, but the thing is, if you, if you go to YouTube and you search people do Van Halen vocal cover, You'll find hundreds of Sammy Hagar guys in there. Uh, but you know what you won't find? Roth. And I hate to say this, but the reason you don't find many Roth in there, and it's not because, of course, as he's aged and his voice has aged many years ago, you know, for at least 10 years, 15, his voice, obviously, he, he, uh, he abused his voice so much from so much touring, so much singing, so much partying, but so much talking for so yeah. many years. Um, but yeah, and nobody, not many people agree on this, but I do know some people that do. I think he's one of the best feel and blues and party vocalists in history. I'm not talking about it as a front man. I'm talking about when he was in his prime and even in 1981, 82 fair warning tour. I mean, Oh my God, if you see some YouTube clips of him singing on those tours, it is unbelievable vocals. He's got those screams that have two voices in it, you know, two notes. I mean, um, yep, yep. and not many people in the world could do that, but he could control them and actually do them. And I was, I was very unhappy when I read recently that Ted Templeman, one of his books was talking down about David Lee Roth being the weak spot, his voice, his vocals in the studio, blah, blah, blah. And I'll argue that, you know, sometimes when you have a relationship with a band or musicians as a producer, and you have many years working with them, I will guess that politics come, you know, there's politics involved with the Van Halen brothers on decisions, on musical decisions. I'll bet Roth is very difficult yeah. to, his, person, his personality is so fucking up and uh, just so wired and so intelligent and so fast and so me, 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 and so... You know, and, and that this is not a bad thing. It's it's what made Van Halen. Um, yeah. And it's very it's going to be very hard for anyone in the world to work with that. He was able to do it. But I know this from my own experience. Sometimes you look back many decades back and you look back on something 
And you see it a certain way. But I would argue what he said because I think Roth's vocals were unbelievable. And it, it Temple made it sound like Roth had to be fixed. Like, you know how modern day with a computer, you got Melodyne auto-tuned to fix the yep, voice? Yep. Well, back in the in the day, the only thing you could do really in the early days was just try to punch in and try different takes. And then later on in the 80s and, and early 90s, you could go from one tape to another tape and use a machine uh, called, it, like, let's say, an ebb and tide machine to sort of uh, you use a little wheel or some numbers to make your word go a little higher or lower in the sound. But basically, back when Roth was doing this stuff, he had to sing it. So sure, they must have went over the singing many times. But if you look at some of the live clips from even 78, even some demos, and it, when Templeman was not involved in the demos, um, and if you look at the fair warning, you look at the Women and Children First clips on YouTube that you can find, there's no way you can tell me that guy was not incredible voice um, because he was able to sing a lot of that stuff properly live and do all the words like he didn't do later on. Um, and so when I saw Templeman cutting that down, saying he was the weak, weak link, I absolutely would argue that. I think Templeman was involved in a bit of politics and maybe he um, he he had a heart or like anybody would have a tough time dealing with the personal side or motivation or getting him focused or working and stop joking around, stop doing this, you know, and being the front man, the showman. But yeah, Ross voice was unfucking believable. It was yeah. unbelievable. There's no way he was a weak link in that band, even in the studio. There's no way that I, I'm, I'll bet you that that's bullshit.
even if he was the li the, the weak link, it, it's basically, you know, hey, I'll, I'll drive my shitty Ferrari instead of my three Lamborghinis, you know, because the, the, yeah. the level was so high with, um, yeah. with and you Michael, know Eddie, and Alex. You got a guy like Sharon, and you put him in extreme, and he's he's comfortable, and his you know skinny, uh, lanky moves where he kicks and all this stuff with his belt bottom. Yeah. It works. It works in extreme. He's good in extreme. He sings good. He looks good. He's, he fits that band. But when you put him in Van Halen three, what it did, like the the clips from Australia concerts or whatever, what that did is that showed me that as good as Sharon really is, uh, it doesn't matter who you put in. It just shows how high a level that Hagar and Roth were. They right. were, they, if you look at clips from Hagar, uh, they were on fucking fire for a few years. And they, yeah. yep. and look, they wore funny clothes and colorful clothes with the, the permed blonde hair, curly hair. And, and we all have eras that we like to look at and laugh at, and we all were a part of it. But, if you look at what Hagar did live, he was just sprinting. He's like a sprinter and a marathon runner and a singer and a showman. And it, it was just, you know, it was a mind blowing what, what he did. So that having, having a, a great singer and performer and frontman from extreme join Van Halen, um, that just showed you the level of this band uh, that the, Van Halen was so above anything else. Yeah. Well, did you? Absolutely. I mean, back, back, back then too. You, you, you had that first show. D did you ever see him again uh, with Roth during those classic years? Did you nope. see the '84 tour? Nope, nope, not me. You got to remember when I missed that uh, that show. Um, it was they didn't. They came to Montreal, I think, a couple of yeah. times after that, but. Um, I don't really think from what I remember from even just as much of a fan as I am, I don't think they did a lot of touring. I know they did back to back touring on the early albums and they were going, you know, a lot of touring. But and if I go on YouTube, for example, I, I almost see the same clips. They're they're yeah. in or yeah. they're they're here or there, but it's like, okay, well, where else were they? Like how many times did they tour in Europe? I, well, they, they went over here in 78 with Black Sabbath, and then they came back in 80, I think, and did a few shows. And then they were back for the Monsters of Rock tour in 1984, and that was it. Yeah, exactly. So you just named all like five, six, whatever years. And they've yep. only done other – if you take away the support slot, guest slot with Sabbath, they've only done a dozen or two shows, right? Yeah. 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 So they, I guess where I was in Canada, I guess they only made it a couple of times after that to Montreal and that was it. So yeah. I didn't see that. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, uh, to me, it's, I'm not going to say the greatest band in history. I want to so bad because of Eddie's <laughs> passing and because I want, yeah, I'd love for even one person to, to give it a, a listen and sort of get into them. But, you know, man, I tell you just, one thing that got me was when, <clears throat> remember that premiere of uh, the new ACDC song video, the first one came out? Yeah. Remember when uh, they were sitting around, uh, there was a countdown, and they were sitting around with the uh, director of the video and, and all that stuff? Um, they, uh, when you see Angus now and Malcolm, or sorry, Angus and, and Brian Johnson on this, this interview I saw recently, it was just like, wow, I mean... 
you know, like the passing of Malcolm too. I mean, I know it happened a long time ago, but wow. Yep. Think about it. Eddie and Malcolm and, uh, oh boy, it's time's coming. Time's coming quick for, uh, the olders, the older ones. Yep. Eh? Yep. Um, yep. but ACDC and Slayer, um, I'm glad in a way, I'm really glad that Slayer went out the way they did. They did a fucking great, big, long, badass tour. I saw about three shows on that tour. Um, and, uh, I'm glad that they that they, they did what they did. I'm glad they didn't keep going forever. It's good. True. 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 I mean, uh, it's, Jeff, back, yes. back to the Eddie thing about, you know, why didn't he do other things? And everybody says there's this huge amount of tape in the vaults in a 5150 studio. And are we going to see or hear all that stuff? And you know what? I Even if it's, it's probably not true or at all, but even if there was nothing in there, why why does anybody need anything else go back and listen to those those albums are more than any humans ever done
desperate part of town Turns you from hunted into hunter You're going hunt somebody down You see, like uh, Wolfgang just put out his his first song, um, yeah. it, it, and, and you can kind of see that's probably what he was doing. He was probably being a father, and he was probably playing with Wolfgang. You know, you, you yeah. hear Wolf talk about his stories of jamming with his uncle and his dad in in fifty one fifty. That's that's probably what he was doing. Yeah, and he was visiting people. He was talking to people he hadn't connected to people that he hadn't talked to in a long time. He. Uh, I guess in the back of his mind, he probably knew that something might happen, but um, but he definitely started reconnecting with people. But, you know, another thing, too, is he seemed from videos, and this is not – I don't know him at all, but it just seems from from so many people I know that worked with him or the band or people that kind of are kind of a bit close to them, it seems like he was enjoying just the sun – opening the doors to a studio to the workshop part of a studio trying new ideas with guitars different ways of painting and he was doing that for so many decades and he was still doing it he, right to, to the end he was you know he you know as most people know he's got the ebhgear.com i guess it is ebh gear yep. and you know the cables the picks his own strings volume he's got all these freaking tubes for his amps and amps and cabinets and all the pedals i have and you should see my studio and my my um musician uh producer kind of loft accommodations and uh and house i've got van halen stuff everywhere my and i'm lucky because my wife is uh is not one of these people that's telling all her friends this guy is insane she is actually <laughs> buying, she's buying these things so she's actually i found this on, <laughs> You know, like not just the stuff you see, like guitar straps and picks and uh, and guitars, but rare guitars and and you know the bar stools. Of course, I got them all. You know all the colors. And, um, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of cool Van Halen stuff that was out over the years that I've been, been trying to to find, and uh, it's it's becoming a lot of fun right now.
Thanks for your time, man. We're going to let you go. Um, it's been great. It's been great to dig a little bit into this. It's been great talking to you. And, um, and um, man, we'll, we'll be in touch soon, for sure. Yeah, hey, I thought uh, I've only been talking for five or six minutes. <laughs> cool. Right on. Well, hey, yeah, but talk again and say hi to everybody, Sweden Rock and all the other people, you know, there. Uh, Absolutely. And hope everybody's safe and healthy and uh, we'll see everybody next year, maybe. If we're yeah, lucky. Absolutely. We hope so. We definitely okay. hope so. See you guys, 2022, get ready. Cool. <laughs> Excellent. See you later, guys. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank Talk you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.